Welcome to Circle 3 Cowboy Fellowship's podcast. We are patriots, unafraid and unashamed to speak the truth and spread the gospel. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome, everybody. Before I dive all the way into the, uh, to the message this morning, I do want to touch on just a few things. I mean, like I said, I don't follow mainstream media, so I have really no idea of the things that are being reported on and whatnot in the world, but I am very watchful because I really do feel like what we are witnessing is uh, what we can read in Scripture in Matthew chapter 24. I also believe we could be witnessing the makings of the Ezekiel War in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. Um, I think we are looking at a possibility of Isaiah coming true as it pertains to Damascus. When he says, woe is to Damascus, it'll be laid into a, a heap, a ruin uninhabitable by anyone. All of these things are just still going on in the world and, and ramping up. Um, of course, I, 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 I'm interested in what's happening in Ukraine, um, but I'm more interested in what will that do, how will that trickle down, or could that trickle, I should say could that trickle down, to Israel, because really, prophecy in Scripture is all written about Israel's last days. And so, I, I've said it a thousand times, and I'm going to keep saying it, we have to, have to, have to keep our eye on Israel. And so, um, you know, I think the media is probably talking a little bit about what's happening in Ukraine. Um, one thing that I do realize that's happening is Putin is not running through Ukraine quite as easily as he thought he was going to. And he's finding that it's becoming quite bloody on both sides. Uh, I can't tell you how many different videos I have seen of Ukrainians shooting down Russian jets. And uh, when Russia wants to brag that they are comparable to the United States, when was the last time the United States jet got shot down in all the conflicts that we've been in? It doesn't happen very often. Um, But it seems like they're bringing down a lot of Russian jets with um, outdated uh, missiles, <laughs> stinger missiles and such that have been around forever. Um, I know one of the fears that some of the people that I listen to are talking about that is if it looks as if uh, Putin is going to be humiliated that he might take it up even a step higher and become more destructive as it pertains to biological and chemical type attacks uh, or even uh, they have mobilized their nuclear, uh, they've been moving a lot of their nuclear mobile units around. I don't know if that's just trying to scare people or what they're trying to do exactly. But um, I think we probably do have a madman on our hands. And when I read the scriptures, it says that he will take Gog. And right now we know that Putin is Gog. Now, is Putin the Gog that Isaiah was talking about? We don't know. We're never, well, we, I won't say we'll never know. We'll just keep watching. We can figure it out. But right now it appears that he is. And it says that I will put a hook in your lip and I will lead you to Israel. And that's what interests me the most out of all of this. Um, and I'm still seeing and hearing a lot of things about Russian movements into Syria. And that's what starts to play into this prophecy uh, as Russia is moving into Syria. Now Russia is coming all the way out and trying to claim that the Golan Heights in northern Israel belongs to Syria. And, you know, and this is the same kind of rhetoric that we see happening leading up to this mess in Ukraine. You know, uh, some of those other states were trying to say that part of Ukraine or all of Ukraine belongs to them. You know, and if, it's, if this is a pattern, then we could see very easily how this could very well be God putting the hook in Gog and leading him towards Israel. But I can assure you, whatever he gets away with in Ukraine, he will not get away with in Israel. And it won't be because of the Israeli military. This time it will be because of God, my God, my Father. He's going to step up and he's going to show the world something. And so that's what I'm watching. That's what interests me the most. Um, I did find other interesting information. And who knows if this is going to turn into an all-out world war or not. I guess a lot of it depends on where Putin goes from Ukraine or what he does in Ukraine. But then uh, they announced just this week, uh, just a couple days ago, China announced, surprise, surprise, that it's going to begin naval drills six miles off of the international water of Taiwan. And uh, it was drills that started the Ukrainian thing. So it seems like Xi is using the same playbook that Putin used. And so what will that lead to? I don't know. 
I don't know where all of that is going. I, my focus is really on where does Israel fit into this because that's the signs that God gave me to look for. And so, um, so all of that is going on, guys, and uh, now is the time to uh, hang close to our Heavenly Father. Now is the time to have a relationship with Him and know Him, really get to know Him um, because His prophecies are, in fact, coming true. Um, the Holy Spirit is at work, and that's really who it is at work here on earth now. You know, we had the time where God dealt directly with mankind. He dealt directly with Adam and Eve, God the Father, God who we, who, you know, we understand there's a triune God. It's three parts in one, but each part has played a role through history. And God played the role of the Father, the Creator, and he dealt with Adam and Eve. He dealt with Noah. He dealt with Moses. We just talked about last a few weeks ago, you know, Moses, the faith that Moses had to take his son up onto the mountain and, and was going to sacrifice him because God called him to do that, uh, most likely in an audible voice. I mean, we don't see that so much. The Holy Spirit doesn't work quite that way today, the way God did back then. And then, of course, we had the time where Jesus was here. He was here as a man. You know, he could have very easily been no different than any of you sitting out there today. He had all the same things going on that we had going on. He felt pain. He felt discomfort. He felt hunger. Jesus was here, and he operated and it was his era for about 32 years of ministry. Jesus was here. And now Jesus has ascended and we are in the last days ever since he ascended because we are in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who is actively working today. All right. So, uh, last night, Cindy and I watched a movie she she were these nights have been long and boring by the way are you guys sick and tired of winter you sick and tired of it getting dark early and and having to figure out what to do with yourself or you know i've got plenty of things i can do during the daylight but when it gets dark that early i struggle to have more things to do and i probably could if i sat in front of the computer but i get sick of that too so uh so she she went on the other day on the internet and i guess and and looked up movies to watch um, and so, uh, last night we sat down and we previewed a few of them and we found one we thought we would like and, and it was, I, I don't remember the name of that movie. Do you remember it, Cindy? Nope, I don't either. It was, it was a story. What was that? It, well, if, if any of you want to know, let me know and I'll go home and look it up. We'll find it again, but, uh, and she can probably look it up over there. And, uh, but it, what it was is it was a modern day telling of the prodigal son story set in modern time. You know, it was about a farmer and his son and sons, I should say, and how, how, you know, and it followed the story that Jesus outlined and that I'm getting ready to read. It followed it to a T, but only set it into modern day times. And, and what it did for me last night, it was kind of a, a, a slow story, um, you know, when you don't know what's going to happen, a movie's much more interesting. But when you know the prodigal son story and you already knew what was going to happen, you kind of have to stick with it. But it was worth sticking with. It was still a good story. And they, I thought they did a, a really good job of following the Word of God uh, as they told that story. But it got me to thinking about that story of the prodigal son. And so I want to start with reading that, and then I want to dissect it just a little bit. So I'm going to uh, be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Now, what, what we have going on here was Jesus, okay? You understand his parables were not necessarily true stories, although they very well could have been. Um, but what we have was Jesus was answering the question, if you read in chapter 14 towards the top, where the Pharisees were criticizing him for hanging out with sinners. <laughs> and that's really what you had happening. Jesus was answering why he hangs out with sinners. And he went through the whole it's a list of parables, you know, the, the parable of the coin and so forth and so on. He goes down through. He's trying to make people understand in earthly terms the way our relationship is with God in heavenly terms. And it's really not that different. I've talked about relationships now for a week or two. And our relationship with God is really no different than our relationship with each other. God feels very much the same only a thousand times more than we do about our children, about our spouses, about our family and our loved ones. God has a capacity of love that none of us can fully understand. But the likeness is there because we were created in his image, weren't we? 
So why is it so hard to understand then that our relationship with God should be no different than our relationship with one another? With that set, Jesus is trying to explain how it is. And he says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. Now here's one thing about the movie. When, when the son decided he wanted to leave the family farm, this is where Hollywood got it wrong. Coming from a farming culture, farming family, I know this to be a fact. When the son went and asked for his inheritance, his dad got with the accountant and they wrote him a check. All right? Farmers do not have cash inheritances. I'm just going to say. In modern times, it would have been more accurate if he said, okay, well, there's 175 acres over there and 15 cows, and you can take a couple of the hogs. Pains me to say this, but maybe they had sheep. I don't know. Chickens, whatever the case may be. I'm kind of mad at sheep. I got behind one of them big sheep moves the other day, and I was in a hurry to get to a meeting. So I'm a little down on sheep right now. <clears throat> but anyway, that's more like what an inheritance is for a farm family. Uh, farmers are a lot like the rest of us. Cash on hand is a scarce thing most of the time. But anyway, I get what they were doing in the movie. So he asked for his inheritance. And so he divided his, young, uh, his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? But I am dying here from hunger. I will set out and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, against, and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. And so he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he has come to life again. He was lost, but has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now this older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and summoned one of the servants and began to inquire as to these things, what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who, was who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and, it <clears throat> and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost but has been found. What a story. When you really start thinking about that story and how it is the way it is with the kingdom of God. There's a few things we can learn. I see there's about four major points in the story. One of them is probably more of an assumed point because it's really not written, so that's the one I'm going to start with. But one thing that the story does not talk about, but it alludes to because of the response of the father in the end, it doesn't really focus on when the son left the grief the father must have had. Those of us who are parents understand grief, whether it be you've lost a child or even sometimes just when your kids pack up and go off to college. You celebrate for a minute or two and then grief sets in and you start missing them. 
You know, I remember when we had a house full and all the kids in the house, and this one going there and that one going there and this one, and, and, and we thought, boy, I can't wait till the kids are grown. And now that the kids are grown, it's like, man, I wish they'd come back once in a while. So then I find myself doing stupid crap like buying an airplane so I can go see them. I never guessed that 15 years ago, 10 years ago. But you understand, we understand this, and so I have to assume that the father was grief-stricken as his son left. And if you think about the day and age that Jesus would have been telling this story, you know, we have modern technology today, so, you know, we can keep in touch. You know, the kids bought us this little box. We've used it once. Didn't work really good. I need to fix a shelf for it. But this little box that you put on your TV, and then they can call your telephone with Facebook or something Anyhow, you can sit in your living room and have a conversation with them in their living room and see each other. And so that way we're supposed to be able to get to see our grandson and stuff. And, and we did it once and, and, and it was a little bit difficult and, and I need to mess with it again and I haven't. But we have technology that helps us to keep in touch. We have cell phones, we have computers, we have all kinds of things that help us keep in touch. But back in Jesus' time when a child left the country, can you imagine how the parent must have felt? Wondering if they would ever see that child alive again. Especially back then when, when, when it was a little bit more of the Wild West and, and things happened and, you know, so forth and so on. The grief that the father had when that child left is really not gone into here. But, it is, but you can see the, the relief when the son comes back. So you can assume that there must have been a lot of grief. And being a grieving parent myself. You know, at one point he says, your, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. I mean, if the, if the father really thought his son was dead, I understand that kind of grief. It's a heaviness that weighs on you every single day. It's a thought that never leaves your mind. And any of you who have lost a child, or maybe, maybe even you've lost your relationship with your kids, that happens too, where people, where people drift apart and don't stay in touch, and kids don't talk to parents, and, and maybe they're not on speaking. Whatever the case may be, grief is involved. And I'm sure that this father lived with grief. And it doesn't tell us how long it took to squander the wealth. I can tell you in the movie, it didn't take that boy very long to squander his wealth. About two months, I think. Three months, something like that. We don't know all the behind the scenes, but we know that the father had to have been grief-stricken. It doesn't mention the mother at all, if she was still alive or in the picture. Jesus didn't really include her because she wasn't really part of the story. Again, understand this was a story to get a point across. But if this were a true story, you would have had a grieving pair of parents. And we understand how that can be. And this son had left, and he took off, and, 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 he, and he didn't call home because there was no way to call home. They didn't have mail service. He didn't write letters. He didn't email. He didn't do anything. He was just gone. And so for the father, it was the same as having a son who was dead because he was gone from him. Even though the son wasn't dead, it felt that way to the father. We know that had to be the case based on what he says later in the Scripture. So the first part of this that we need to realize is grief. And Jesus is trying to liken this to the way it is in the kingdom of God. So am I to take it that God grieves for us when we leave him or disobey him or ignore him? Is it possible for God to grieve? And I got to thinking about that and I thought, well, of course. Jesus even displayed it. What's the shortest scripture in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's the shortest, shortest verse in the Bible, and that's John eleven thirty five. 35. Well, we know Jesus wept because he was grieving. His friend was dead. Even though Jesus knew he was going to bring him back, he was caught up in the moment, and he was having a human emotion, and he grieved. And we know that our human emotions are based on God's blueprint of himself. So I believe with all my heart that God grieves. Matter of fact, God was so grief-stricken of a lost world that he sent Jesus down here as a last-ditch effort to reunite this world to himself. Because, see, in God's eyes, death is not physical death. God is not physical. God sees beyond the physical. 
What we're going through down here on earth, God sees that and it's really only a small part of the big picture. Do we understand that? Yes, it's, it's a large part of our picture because it's all we can see, but from God's perspective, it's just a small part of the big picture. And so God doesn't grieve so much, maybe even celebrates when, when someone down here passes away and goes home to be with him. That's probably a time of celebration in heaven, although we're left to grieve. It's what I always say, the worst part of death falls on those of us who survive it. You know, God grieves when somebody dies spiritually because then they are truly lost and gone to him. He gave us that choice in the garden of free will. And that choice comes with consequences. If we choose to obey God, we can have life. We can be with God. He can be our father. We can be his child. And we can have a relationship for eternity. If we accept Jesus, we can do that. That's our choice. But he gave us the ability to choose. And if we choose not to accept Jesus or not to to repent of our sins or to have a relationship with him, that's our choice too. Now all of a sudden, God has chosen to allow us to be out of his control. Understand that. God can control everything. I mean, we, we read fairy tales of how a princess kisses a frog and he turns into a prince and all that kind of stuff. I'm speaking to somebody out there. I can see the reaction. (laughs) Right down her alley. I remember that kind of, that stuff when my kids were little. I remember, and and, and we we hear these fairy tales, but God could literally do it. He could take Jim Cole and turn him into a skunk right now if he wanted to. Some people might think he is already. I don't know, but I like him. God can do whatever he wants to do. But God made the rules and he chose to make the rules that if you choose to not be a part of him, he will not control you. He, you just live with the consequences of not having God on your side and whatever falls upon you will fall upon you. And we know that if God does not have you, Satan does. You're going to be had by somebody in this world. It can either be God or it can be Satan. It's your choice. But if you don't have God, then you, you do have Satan whether you want to admit it or not. And so God gave us that choice. And so when, you, when, when God grieves over someone's death, it's not because they went home to be with him. It's because they chose wrong, and spiritually, they are beyond his grasp now. They are beyond his help. That's spiritual death. Not because he's not the all-powerful and could force them. It's because of the rules that he established in the Garden of Eden when he gave us free will. That's what God grieves over. So we go on, and and the next portion of this telling of this story has to do with how the son squandered his father's wealth. Now, in the movie we watched last night, it was kind of refreshing because the, the Bible story says that the son squandered the wealth with prostitutes. The telling of this story was trying to stay fairly well in line. So the boy who, who, uh, um, leaves with all this money in his bank account, goes to town. First thing he does is goes to a jewelry store to buy himself a big fancy watch. You know, his, his intention, he told his dad he was going to take his inheritance and he was going to invest it wisely, and in six months, you know, he'd have it all made up and everything. Well, the first thing he does is he goes and buys a fancy watch. And then he goes out and he buys a fancy sports car. But when he buys this fancy watch, there's this pretty cute gal working behind the counter helping him. And he asked her, he says, well, what is it that you like here? And she said, well, this is my favorite thing in the world, but I can't afford anything like that. So he bought it for her. So he bought him a girlfriend. Okay? Now, fortunately, when a Christian producer does a movie, they can get the point across without all the nakedness and all the other stuff that we have to not be a part of. So it was obvious what was happening without having to actually show it. We're adults. Our minds know what goes on. Okay? So he buys him a girlfriend here. Pretty soon then, he goes out and he buys his fancy car. And the next thing you know, he meets another girl, and she says, well, there's an available condominium in my apartment building, in my building. So he goes and he he buys that girl by buying the apartment. And so it's pretty obvious. Every time you turn around, he's he's chasing these females. But the movie keeps it clean, and and, and you know what's going on without having to actually see it. 
And, 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 and so we can kind of get the picture. This boy probably did something very much the same, but he went out and he squandered his father's wealth. This kid finally started investing in money, and he finds this new long-shot investment, but he had done his homework, and, and he invests a bunch of money in this and actually was getting some pretty good returns back. This is in the movie getting some pretty good returns back, and then all of a sudden, the federal government steps in and finds out that the company he invested in had done some shady stuff and froze all the assets, and there it is. All of his money is tied up, frozen, and he can't do anything with it. Next thing you know, he's got some bad dudes wanting to kill him, and it's, it's a mess. So anyhow, you can visualize how it happens in modern times, but you know that's probably what Jesus was alluding to here. And I think about that. How does then, if, if this is how it is in the, in the kingdom of heaven, How is it then that we can squander our wealth? The first thought I had is in this telling of this story, is this story for the non-believer or is this story for the believer? Well, I believe the non-believer can learn from this. I believe the non-believer can learn a lot. But to me, this story is for the believer because this son already was a son. See, the non-believers who have not accepted Jesus yet, have not become sons. God loves them. God loved the whole world. He loves the lost. He loves the sinners. But until they make the choice to become part of God's family by accepting Jesus into their hearts, they're not children. Okay? Understand that. So is this story then for the non-believer or for the believer? Well, this is about a child of God, who stra- or a child who strayed. This child had an inheritance already. I'm going to tell you, as it pertains to the kingdom of God, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, you have no inheritance. The inheritance is for those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's not the preacher making this up. It's not the preacher's rules. I'm a pretty charitable guy. I'd give a little bit of something to everybody if it was up to me. But that's not the way God set it up. God set it up to be, only through Jesus can you come to the Father. Only through the blood of Christ can we come to the Father. Can we be adopted in as sons and daughters into this family? We were originally created to be, but we strayed from that. And mankind has strayed from that. So now only through Jesus can we be a part of this. So we're not sons and daughters until we accept the Lord. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, along with that choice comes an inheritance. Wealth beyond measure. And I know a lot of you are sitting out there saying, oh, wait a minute here. I, uh, I accepted the Lord 10 years ago, and I'm still having a hard time making rent. Where's my wealth? I'm not talking about earthly wealth. Oftentimes it seems that the evil have more earthly wealth than God's people do. But like I said, our lives here on earth are such a small portion of the overall picture. God knows what wealth awaits us. Basically, he tells us everything that is mine will become yours. Heaven, this wonderful place that we can only hear about and that we can only imagine. We sang a song about it. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I get there. Truth is, none of our imaginations can even do it justice. Because we, as humans, I don't think have the capacity to fully understand what is waiting for us. But when you think about what is waiting for us, We're going to spend somewhere between zero and 90 to 100 years here on earth. And for those of us who live here, 90 years is a long time. My grandfather was 94 when he passed away. It seemed like he had a very long life. But when you compare that to eternity, it doesn't even measure on the scale. It doesn't even show up. 90 years is nothing. I remember a song, an old Christian song that that was on a vinyl record that my folks had gotten. I think think they went to church and and there was a group from the college in Kansas City. There was a a Nazarene college in Kansas City and I think they had a singing group that had come out and and they were selling records and and still on vinyl. And I remember remember mom and dad having that and we had one of those, uh, those record players that was the size of a table, basically, you know, the wooden thing you lifted up and the turntable inside and and storage underneath. So I remember putting that on, and, and, and Mom used to play it a lot, and shoot, I liked it too. I would listen to it even sometimes when I was home by myself. And, but the one song I'll never forget, it, it was an impression left in my mind, and it went something like, 
10,000 years and we'll just be getting started, referring to eternity. 10,000 years and we're only just begun. Those were some of the lyrics in the song. And think about that. 10,000 years is just barely a drop. Doesn't even hardly register. So the 90 years that you spend maybe here or less, depending on, or more, I would say more if you're lucky, but given the state of the world, I don't know if you're lucky if you live to be 100 and something, but whatever. It's nothing. The time that we're living right now is nothing in the grand scheme of things, and God knows this. So when we think about the wealth that we have waiting for us because of Jesus, you can't even measure. It makes Donald Trump seem like a homeless bum a thousand times over because of the wealth that we have, what we will have, and I'm not necessarily saying personal possessions, but just what we will gain by being in heaven, by having a, a peace that we can't even imagine, by having perfection that we can't even imagine, by having a heavenly Father who loves us so much right there in our presence every minute of every day. We're going to be in a place where there is no sickness, where there is no COVID, there's no fevers, there's no masks. I heard, I heard they've got a dumpster at the pearly gates, and you have to throw your mask away when you get there. Yep. That's what I've heard. So, so when you say, well, where's my wealth? Folks, it's there. You just can't see it yet, but you have to have faith that it's there. You have to believe. So when you choose wrong, when you say, God, I'm done with you. God, I want my inheritance now, and I'm going off on my own. The inheritance that you receive now here on earth is not an inheritance. It's nothing. When you say, God, I don't need you in my life anymore, and I'm going to go this direction. I know because I've been there, and I've done it. Then you are squandering your wealth that awaits you. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this story. So I truly believe that this story is intended for the Christian because the non-believer has not yet got an inheritance from God, but the believer does. So understand that as believers, when we allow that fire in our belly that we had when we started out for God, that desire, that, that wanting to know Him more, when we let that die, when we let that fire turn to just a, a glowing ember rather than a raging flame, we are literally squandering our wealth and we run the risk of losing it according to the scripture in Hebrews that we used last week and we'll get back to that in a minute. So that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. This son decided to squander his wealth and he was gone. You know, when you are lost from God, you are lost. You are gone. You are dead. Spiritually speaking, you are dead. And this father thought his son was dead because he was no longer able to speak to him. He was no longer to know anything about him. As a matter of fact, he could have been laying dead in a ditch and he would have known no different. That's the way it is in heaven when a Christian decides to turn and go the other direction. So the first real part of this story is dealing with how the son squandered his wealth. And I can think of all the ways I've squandered wealth. Not physical, I can think of ways I've squandered physical wealth too, but a spiritual wealth. I can think of how much time I've spent in my life wasting when I could have been doing so much more for the Lord. Squandering my wealth. But that next part, and this is what I say, this is what I mean when I say, guys, salvation, while we don't deserve it, does require an action on our part. No, we, there's nothing we can do to deserve it. We can't be good enough to deserve it. But to receive it, we do have to do something. To keep it, we do have to do something. And in this case, what we see happening is this son who was out there in the field with the pigs starving, finally coming to the decision. This is stupid. It doesn't have to be this way with me. I don't have to be this hungry. I don't have to be this poor. I have a home and I have a father and even if I go back and I 
No, I've already forfeited my right. But if I even go back as a servant, I'll still be better off than I am now. The son had to come to the moment where he made a choice to return to his father. Guys, if you backslide, if you stray, you have to come to a point where you return. Or we fall into that Hebrews category that warns us about going too far. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So this son finally realized, man, I'm going to have to eat crow. This is going to be tough. Basically, I took my money and I told my dad I don't need him no more and I'm out. Now I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to beg for forgiveness. But the son came to the realization that his very survival depended upon that. Understand, guys, if you get off track, your very survival, spiritually speaking, depends on getting back on track. Because if you continue down that path, So the son had to make a choice, and he had to walk however far we don't know. He said he went to a different country, so what country that might have been, how far that was, we don't know. Talk about a long road. That would have been a long, dreadful road. You know how it is when you know you got to do something that you really don't want to do, how long and how dreadful it can be getting to that point before you have to do it? How you build it up in your mind that it's going to be so bad, so horrible. You know how that is? That must have been what it was like for this guy as he's walking back to his father's farm and he's sitting here thinking, how am I going to, how am I going to tell my dad I blew it all? How am I going to tell dad that I'm nothing but a failure and I just want to be a slave? I just want to be a servant. Let me sleep in the barn. Shoot, I'll even sleep with the pigs as long as you give me a meal. I'm still better off than I've been. You know, we get to that point. I've been to that point. I allowed my, 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 my walk with God to backslide for about six years to the point that I realized I am in a mess. I am not going down the right path. I have got to turn this thing around. I've got to go ask for forgiveness. So the next part of this story teaches us how we have a father who is waiting with arms spread wide open to receive us back because of his love for us, his undying love. You know, there is nothing you can do, it says in Romans, there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Meaning there's nothing we can do that God won't love us for, that God won't love us. Now, he may not love our actions, our actions may come with consequences, even to the point of spiritual death. But God, you need to realize, God loved the world so much. That meant God loved the people who we don't find it very easy to love in this world. He loved Putin. He loved the Iranian, whoever's in charge over there. I may as well go ahead and lump this one in with that bunch because he's about the same in my book. He loved Biden. I see not a lot of difference in any three of them, if you ask me. And that can go out on Facebook. I don't care. He loves all of those people so much that he sent his son to die for them. There is nobody in the world that he doesn't love so much that he would send Jesus. That's what the scripture means when it says that he loved the world. He doesn't just love the part of the world. He doesn't just love people in Colorado and exclude those in, say, Mississippi. Even though those in Mississippi aren't the same as the ones in Colorado, in my book, he loves them all. And I can say that because I'm from Arkansas originally. The only thing Arkansas's got going for it is it ain't as bad as Mississippi. And Missouri ain't as bad as Arkansas. You know, it's just... So anyway... So that's what the next part of the story is. This son had screwed up. This son had done everything wrong. But as soon as his father realized that he was coming back, he realized then that he wasn't dead, and it was time to celebrate. Do you realize that every time you screw up and you get on your knees and say, God, I am sorry, 
there is a time of celebration in heaven. That's what Jesus is telling us in this, part of this story. Wait a minute, he's not dead yet. He's still here. We've got him. He's back. We're going to throw up. I don't care. I can tell you guys right now, my daughter was living a life that I was not proud of prior to her death. But if she would have walked through those doors right now, you'd see me celebrate like you've never seen, because none of that would matter to me. None of it. There's nothing I wouldn't give to have her walk through those doors, my own life included. Nothing. And that's me. And God is so much more capable of love than me. Then you can only imagine how he feels when one of his lost find their way home. So that's what we have. And I'm sitting here and, I'm, and I look at this scripture in it and I beg the question, how does that work with God? How does God think that someone's dead and then they not be dead and blah, 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 blah. And I got to thinking, that brings up last week's message that I preached. And I want to read that scripture again out of Hebrews. Where it says in Hebrews, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age, to come then to have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they again crucify themselves, the Son of God, and put him to public ridicule. And I think about that and I'm thinking, wait a minute. How can that be if we've got a God that's sitting here with his arms wide open waiting for us to come back? How can it be then that that would be impossible? And then that begs the question, okay, then is what, what the Hebrew writer talking about blasphemy? Then what really is blasphemy? And you know what? I went to Bible college. And I remember having this conversation. And honestly, the professors really didn't even know how to answer the question. Blasphemy is a very difficult thing to understand because it's really not mentioned much in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of Jesus talking about an unforgivable sin. And Hebrews talks about a person who has known all of these things getting to the point that they can't be forgiven. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, wait a minute, none of this makes sense to me. How do we have a God that loved the world so much that he would send his only son to die on the cross from you and yet withhold forgiveness from anybody for any reason? And then it started to dawn on me. Maybe blasphemy being the unforgivable sin is less about God's willingness to forgive and more about the anatomy of the human soul set, getting so far gone, so hardened that it is impossible for the soul to ever heal to the point of acceptance of the word again. Maybe it has more to do with me going so far gone and saying that I'm going to be done with God and growing so hard that I never come back, it may have more to do about the anatomy of the soul than it has to do with God being vengeful or unforgiving because that's not who God is. Whenever scriptures start looking like they don't jive, most likely it's not the scripture that has a problem, it's our understanding of the scripture. That has the problem. And so I want to be open-minded. I don't want to be narrow-minded about this. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If this prodigal son had feared his son was gone and dead, and now God is, how does that work? How does God fear that somebody is dead? Maybe it's not that he's afraid that they're dead, but he's afraid that they're closing in on that point that they make a choice to completely disconnect from what they had once known. And maybe because of that, God understands the anatomy of our soul to the point where he might say, if they reach that point, I'm, don't go. Don't go off the cliff. Stop. He sees us headed for it. And he knows that once we go over it, there's no climbing back. Maybe it has more to do with that than it has to do with his ability to forgive anything. Because in that, in this Scripture in Mark, I'm going to read it from Mark, where Jesus is talking about blasphemy. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. The sons and daughters of men and whatever blasphemes that they commit. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit 
never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Maybe that's not saying the way we think it might be saying that they're not going to receive, that forgiveness is not afforded to them. Maybe what it's saying is because of the anatomy of the soul, they will never again get to the point that they surrender to the Lord because their heart has grown so hardened. Maybe that's what it's saying. To me, that makes more sense because I believe my God to be forgiving of all sins as Jesus just said it was. It doesn't really matter one way or the other. Just don't let yourself get to that point. The Hebrew writer who was talking about those who have known, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age, it's impossible for them when they have fallen away to restore them again. We're not talking about just falling away here, folks. I believe we're talking about saying, God, and walking away, and never looking back. I think when you do that, something in your soul, something in your heart has become so hardened that, most, that it becomes impossible for you to ever open your eyes again to receive the Holy Spirit. And how far it takes a person to go before they get to that point, I don't know. The Bible's not telling us, it's just warning of us not to go there. And I think that's what part of this lost story of this prodigal son was, is that the father, when he sees the child heading away, how many times have you watched your kids, especially when they're little, doing something that you see is going to end in catastrophe, and you want to get to them, and you can't quite get to them before it happens? Maybe they fall, maybe they get hurt, maybe they, that's the way it is for God. He knows when we're headed for the cliff. He knows how far we are from the cliff. We don't even know. But he knows that once we go over the cliff, there's no coming back. And when you're lost to him, then he is afraid. And I believe he grieves. Just like this father did. This father was grieving his son who was lost and thought that he might be dead because he didn't know any different. But when that son came back moving the other direction and he saw him from a distance, it says... He didn't sit there and wait for him to get there and say, well, what can I do for you? What do you need? See, that'd probably be my attitude. No, it wouldn't be. If I saw Caitlin, I'd go. I, I, I shouldn't say that. He went to him. He ran out. As far as he had to go, he went out there, and he hugged him. He didn't care about the squandering. He didn't care about what his son had done. He was just so happy that he was back and that he was alive, and he just took him in, and he wrapped his arms around him, and he put the robe on him, and he put the ring on him, and we're going to celebrate and I believe that's the way it is when God, when God sees us at the edge of the cliff and yet then we stop and we turn around and we choose to come back to him. I believe he runs to us and he meets us. He doesn't care what you did getting out there. He doesn't care what you've done to screw up your life. I spent six years screwing up my life and you know what? He didn't care when it came right down to it and I said, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I want to be back. He just took me back. And all of that was gone, and it was all blotted from my record. And according to the Word of God, your name comes back into the Lamb's Book of Life, and there's nothing. It's white, it's pure, it's clean, it's good. John Wesley talked about Christian perfection. I'm not going to get into a lot of that. But you know what? If your name is in the Book of Life, and there's nothing but the blood of Jesus covering it, that's about as perfect as we can get. doesn't mean we as individuals are perfect. And this was, this was happening and so that's what, what this story is telling us, that when somebody strays, God grieves. And, and, we, and we can squander our wealth, and, and we all have wealth if you've accepted the Lord. Like Hebrews is saying, for any of those who have partaken in the Holy Spirit, folks, I can assure you, I personally have partaken in the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit. I recognize when he's working in my life. I recognize when he's speaking to me. And as a pastor, I've had to become more sensitive to that. It's part of the maturing process. And I can go into a whole doctrine that, that talks about sanctification and what, but I'm not going to go down that road today. But it's a maturing and a growing process. I have known people who were Christians, who, who, who without a doubt in my mind had accepted the Lord as their Lord and Savior, but I've had them tell me, you know, the only evidence I've ever seen of God is the evidence of him in creation. And I thought to myself, how sad is that, that you don't know, you've not yet partaken of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to partake, and I can see I'm running out of time. So we're going to go ahead and wind this thing up.
I might, I might come back and go a little further into it next week. But I want to encourage you guys today. It doesn't matter what you've done to squander your wealth. Your father is waiting with open arms. And if you're in this building today, if you're in this building today, if you're listening on Facebook today, I can promise you, you haven't gone off the cliff. Because if you go off the cliff, you wouldn't be here. And you wouldn't be listening. So that means anybody who is listening or is here today has not gone so far in their life that they can't come running back to their Heavenly Father who will come running towards you and meet you and celebrate and wipe it all clean and forget about whatever it was that you did to get yourself in the mess in the first place. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you need to come running back to the Lord, now's the time. I don't know how many days we got left in this world. Now's the time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for these who have come. And Lord, we thank you for your uh, ability to forgive, Lord, uh, your willingness to forgive and your love that we can't even fully comprehend. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your son Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and that he is our bridge to you. Lord, we thank you for that. I lift up the prayer requests of the church. Lord, we know there's many. And, and Lord, you know each and every detail of each and every one of them. Stacy mentioned a few. And Lord, we're going to lift those up to you today. And, and, uh, but Lord, I just trust you in all things. And I know you know what needs to be done. And you don't need me telling you how to do it. So Lord, I just trust you with all of that. Lord, I just pray that you be with each and every one of us as we go from here. Give us traveling mercies throughout the week. And bring us all back together next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to, but you're not really sure how, please feel free to email us at circle3podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's circle, the number three, podcast at gmail.com. We would love to help you out. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click follow. That way you never miss a message. Cowboy churches are the fastest growing in the nation, so there's sure to be one near you if you'd like to try it out. Have a great day. See you next time.